Revelation chapter 21. You know, when, when Jesus spoke, that was God speaking. He's God in flesh. I wonder what impact his prayers had there are the seven sayings that he made there on the cross. They were so used to being cruel. I'm not sure it made much of a dent, but as they stretched him out, no doubt grabbed his arm, pulled it, he didn't fight them. And they drove those nails into his hands and into his feet. And you hear him instead of cursing and screaming and going on, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You just you, you would think just hearing the, those words, the weight of those words would have fallen on those men. Perhaps in some measure they did because after they come by and, and stick the spear in his side and forthwith there came forth blood and water, you know, for the blood separating. Uh, the centurion that was there said, surely this man was the son of God. And so history tells us that the there was a legion that was converted to Christ and they refused to do some of the bad things that their generals told them to do and so they were near a large lake and he told them, I want you to do so and so and they said, no, we will not do that. And then he ordered them to march into the lake, a certain number of them, and they drowned. They followed that order but they wouldn't follow his order to violate their conscience. Uh, Christianity makes a difference in you. It'll change you. You know, the will to live is probably the strongest urge any of us has. If you've never read uh, Last Words of Saints and Sinners or Fox's Book of Martyrs, you owe it to yourself as a Christian to read those books. You need to know how our, what our forefathers endured, how they reacted. I'm reminded of Many of them, as I, that book, Last Words of Saints and Sinners, it's easier to read than Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, believe you me. But we're losing the culture wars. We're losing the religious wars because we're just not as invested as we used to be. It used to be that Christians bought lots of Christian books and read them. And now we've gotten away from that. Not many people buy books. Not many people read books anymore. And uh, the story of Christianity is written in the ages. And there's some tremendous literature that you can pick up. I like reading old books. I understand you might not. You might not like the style in which they're written. But there's some new books being written that are good as, as well. And Herbert Lockyer, you'd love that book, Last Words of Saints and Sinners, because he's got both sides. Uh, on that Julian the Apostate, he pretended to be a Christian till he ascended the, the throne of the Roman Emperor, and then he turned on Christianity, and that's why he's called the Apostate. Uh, but as he was dying and his blood was running out into the sand, he grabbed a handful of bloody sand and held it up and said, Thou hast conquered, O Galilean. Uh, Jesus has affected every major political leader in, in history. You can't live life without him impacting you some way. But anyway, I have a passion for reading. 
And I'd like to communicate that to you, commend that to you. Uh, if, if we can watch three-hour football games, we can probably read our Bibles for a little while and read some other good literature for 30 minutes or so. I bought a new book for me, Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans. It's been a real blessing. I'm not much for written prayers, but this one's been real good. I've enjoyed it. Revelation chapter 21, before I digress too much. It's first of the year, a good time to set a goal to do some reading, isn't it? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Where are we prophetically when we get to this point? In the book of the Revelation, chapter 1 is past tense. Chapters 2 and 3 were present tense. And then when you get to chapter 4, everything from chapter 4 and verse 1 forward is prophecy. Uh, you have the uh, great tribulation that lasts for seven years, and it runs from chapter number 6 all the way up to, excuse me, chapter number 18. You have 13 chapters. I don't know there's any real significance to that. I'm not much of a numerologist. But you have 13 chapters of negativity, of the wrath of God. If, you know, people think uh, when something bad happens here that, that God's done it. You wait till you get into the book of, of the, uh, Revelation and read about the tribulation period. When water becomes blood. When the, when the oceans become blood and the, the sources of the ocean, the, the uh, lakes and the rivers, they all turn to blood. Uh, and the mountains are going to move. Every single mountain on the earth is going to move. Thousands will be uh, dying. And matter of fact, in a seven-year time frame, half of the world's population plus is going to die. At the end of the tribulation period, you have the, the uh, millennial reign of Christ, and that's in chapter 20, where Satan is bound for a thousand years. And the only lost people that are alive physically are the, the sons and daughters of saved folk who live through the tribulation period and they go into the millennial kingdom having children. And not all of their children are going to be believers, like not all of our children are believers today. And so you have the setting in verses 11 and 12, the great white throne judgment right there, the summons in verse 13, and then the sentence in verses 14 and 15, and so that's the great white throne judgment and all the wicked shall be there. They'll be dealt with. Uh, there'll be no more rebellion. When you finish Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, that's over. No more rebellion. So what's it going to be like? How's it going to be? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What does that mean? It means it was beautiful. You know, when a bride comes walking into the, the area, the auditorium, or wherever you're going to be having the wedding, when the bride comes, she is the center of attraction. I want to tell you that the center of attraction in heaven is not going to be the bride of Christ, the New Testament church. The center of attraction is going to be Jesus. We're going to be looking to him. 
gazing upon him. And I heard a great voice, verse 3, out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, God's with me now, isn't he? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, Hebrews 13, verse 5. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse uh, 13, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, I'm baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. So we could go on and on with those things, but what's going to happen is, right now, I don't see the Holy Spirit. I may see things He does, but I don't see Him. But according to John, when we get to heaven, in like Revelation chapter number 4, when we get to heaven, we're going to see Him. We're going to see our God. I think we'll see the triune God. I don't think we'll see a single um, person or a single representation. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't understand. But I read about the Father seated on the throne. I read about the Son taking the book out of the hand of Him that sat on the throne. And before the throne are the seven spirits of God, meaning the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the Puritans, not knowing what to call it better than, than what I'm saying, called it the beatific vision. In other words, the, the physical sight of God that is beyond what we can describe, the beauty, the wonder, the awe of it. But when we see him, we'll recognize all three. I don't know how he'll do that. I don't have to explain that. If I could explain everything about God, I'd be as big as he is. And I'm not even close. But one of these days, we're going to step out of here and over there. And when all this time's been done down here on earth, when he said the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, that's, that's uh, Second Peter chapter number 3, where the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. We live in a, a uh, flammable atmosphere. All this oxygen we have feeds the fire quite well. Uh, that's why they can drop fuel air bombs and those things catch on fire. They superheat and they suck oxygen out. And when the napalm explodes or a fuel air bomb explodes, uh, that thing sucks all the oxygen out for a certain part and people who are inside of it, whether they're burned or not, they just die from lack of oxygen. And our God's going to burn this earth down and every mark that men have made is going to be erased. Every monument we've ever built, every cable we've ever laid, every road we ever paved, all of that's going to be erased and put back in its original primitive, if we can use that word, form before our God. There's going to be a new heaven. That's not talking about a new heaven where God is. That's talking about a new heaven up above us. There's three heavens, you know. One heaven's from basically from the tops of the mountains down, and then there's another heaven from the tops of the mountains up to outer space, and there's a third heaven where God lives. And we have marred and violated the first, and I guess we're doing our best to violate the second as well. God's going to erase every bit of that, and there'll be a new heaven, just as pure and clean as it can possibly be. Do you think maybe it'll go back like it was in the Garden of Eden? where there wasn't any rain, just a mist came up and watered things. You just, you just kind of wonder how God's going to do all that. In this city, it's going to be a river. The Bible says so, the river of life. And 
And then the tree of life's on both sides. It's not two separate trees. It's one that's so big that the water flows through it. A new heaven. A new earth. Now, the Jews basically have earthly promises, and the church has heavenly or spiritual promises. I think the new Jerusalem is the dwelling place of the New Testament church. not going to be overly dogmatic about it, but that's what I believe. Be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and there'll be all things made new. Look in verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So new things. I like new things. There's nothing like getting a new car and having that new car smell for a little while. It leaves unless you put some more back in it of some kind. Most of our cars probably smell like french fries and little boys, I guess. They don't keep their freshness. We are going to a place where it's new every day. No night there. Just going to be new all the time. Hold your place here and turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. The word inclined there is a word that infers like an adult would listen to a small child, how you would bend over and maybe put your hand to your ear to help pick up the sound. That's the picture behind that he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Where were you when God found you? Look where you are now. Not perfect, but on the right road. Amen. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. I've always wondered about this. Watch. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. How do you see a song? Now, I can see a sheet music, but that's not what this is saying. Got a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it. Maybe they'll see the effects of it. Perhaps they'll see the reason for it, the cause of it. The first mention of singing in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 15. The uh, Egyptian army has chased after the Jews. They get to the, the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea uh, so the Jews can go over on dry land. He puts that pillar of fire and cloud between the Egyptians and the Jewish people till they're over. Then when the, Jew, when the Egyptians see they're on the other side, they charge in where angels should have feared to tread. And they get in there, and the Bible says God knocked their, wag their chariot wheels off, and they begin to, they drave heavily. In other words, they were dragging their axles in the dirt. And God turned loose of that water, and he drowned the entire Egyptian army. 
Then you get to chapter 15, and that's the first record of singing in the Bible. And they're singing because they have been set free. Why do you sing? When you come here to church, why do you sing? You say, well, everybody else is singing. I'm trying to get along with it. Well, that works for driving down the road, but probably doesn't work real good for worship. Why do you sing? I hope you sing because the words mean something to you. Because the story they tell or the truth they communicate is sweet and precious. I love the, the variety of music that we sing here. I don't want us to get hung up on any one type of Christian music. Ouija doesn't care much for bluegrass, country-style gospel. I, I don't want to hear it all the time, but I like some of it. Amen. Brother Steve plays it, don't you, Brother Steve? Yeah, I like some of it. I like high church music. Be Thou My Vision. That's a 12th century uh, Irish hymn. A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther. And I'm going to sing, I'll fly away, and oh, I want to see him every once in a while and look for me at Jesus' feet. We don't want to get stuck on one style. But why do we sing? We ought to be singing because of what he's done for us. What we're expecting him to do for us and just for who he is. We just need to stop sometimes in the busyness of our life and say, Thou art God, and beside thee there's none other. I'm glad he's my God. I'm glad I'm his child. Well, let me read on a little bit. Verse 4 of Psalm 40. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. When we get to heaven, God will say, I was thinking this about you. I was thinking this about you. I was thinking this, and he'd do that forever. Maybe as individuals, perhaps sometimes as a body, I, I don't know. But I do know that he's going to joy over us with singing, the Bible says. And when you and I are in the deepest of sleep, what they call rapid eye movement, delta sleep, where your mind is exercising itself into relaxation and it's kind of a little bit disconnected from directing your body. When you're in that deep, deep sleep and if someone came upon you suddenly, you wouldn't be able to react very fast. Even when we're like that, he's thinking about us. When you're hurting, he's thinking. When you're weeping, he's thinking about you. When you're rejoicing, he's thinking about you. And when you get so sick and your mind's consumed with the difficulty of what you're going through, he's still thinking about you. And when you get on the other side, it'll be all right. Brother Terry and I was talking about it. It's just the mechanics of death that bothers us. You can't scare me with heaven. We're going to make you go to heaven. Oh, really? They can't scare us with that. But how they might go about it could be a frightening thing. Or what 
valley we might have to walk through, but I remember that psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou knowest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, brother, it doesn't get any better than that. Back to Revelation 21. There are five no's of salvation in here, but one of them contains a bunch of no's. Look in chapter 21, verse 4. No more death. Amen. We started out without sin and without mortality. Adam and his wife partook of that fruit. And when Adam ate, the entire human race was plunged into sin. The, the sinful nature was passed on through the man. And death had invaded our society. When there were four people upon the face of the earth, one of them killed another. Went from disobedience to murder in a very short period of time, showing how violent sin is. But one of these days will be no more death. No more death. Ouija will read me and she'll say, Freeman, it, down in Memphis, some three-year-old child was doing this, some five-year-old child, some seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven-year-old child in their home or walking down the street. Somebody guns them down, shoots them. Whether they're trying to hit the child or not, they do, and the child's just as dead whether they meant to or not. Doesn't make any difference. It, and you see the families on TV weeping and sobbing their hearts out. I cannot imagine. When my uncle was murdered in the late 60s, it's just a kind of a, I just remember bits and pieces of it because it was so oppressively painful. Painful. No more death. We're going to stand on the shore where we can look and say no more death. Death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. Let's see, it's over in chapter 20, I believe. Lake of fire and brimstone. Verse number 14, and death and hell, chapter 20. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. No more death. No more sorrow. Some of us as parents or just as people have had grief. We have loved ones who are away from God and it weighs heavy. Not every single moment, but often. Especially when we get close to God and we enjoy His fellowship and the sweetness, we're reminded our loved ones are separated from that and there's a weight. But one of these days, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more crying. Uh, no more pain. I won't have to take pain pills anymore. <laughs> no more pain. Hey, what, what about, that, that's not all. Look in verse 23. No need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Verse 25, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. 
Verse 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie. Chapter 22, verse 3, No more curse. Do you remember the curse that was placed upon the earth? the sweat of thy face and he talked about thorns and thistles and briars and we have to fight those things in our crops so that and if you've got a garden at home you have to fight those things to keep them out and it seems like weeds grow five times faster than anything else no more curse that means no more thorns on roses I don't know if there will be any more wasp nests but if there are you'll be able to go over and play with them they won't sting you. I read about that in, in the millennium. Children can play on the cockatrice, and that's an adder, a very deadly uh, viper. But children be able to play with them, be able to lead the, the lions and the bears around. And they'll lay down with calves and sheep and stuff and won't tear and rip each other apart. No more curse. No more struggles to keep your thoughts on God. And out of the gutter. Never have that again. Never. No more curse. Verse 5, chapter 22, not done yet. And there should be no night there. That's, it. That's the second time he said that. Must be something we need to notice. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I've said it many, many times. We all get to heaven the same day because there's no night there. No matter how many years might transpire down here, when we see our loved ones, they will have just arrived the same day we did. How's God going to work that out? That's another one of them things I don't know how to tell you. We live in what's called the space-time continuum means I occupy this space. And this other, this other one here is empty space. When I step, I have filled up that space, but I vacated my space. So we're, we're, we're in a linear movement. Our time moves linear. Time doesn't go backwards and up and down. It just moves forward. Even when we do daylight savings time, we're not really changing anything. But when we get to heaven... There is no space-time continuum. Time ceases to be as far as we understand it. God invented time for us so that we wouldn't lose our minds. We know what to do. We, at a certain time in the morning, we need to get up, get out of bed, go to work, work so many hours, get paid. We, we understand this linear time. But we're going to live in a... I hesitate to use the word dimension, so let's just say a, a mode of existence where what you and I know is time just doesn't matter. Time will transpire down here on earth. We're raptured out, go before the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then when that's done, we're coming back to the earth. Seven years will have transpired down here, but I don't think we'll have any Plug into that. No mores. I'm ready for the no mores. I buried 112 of our people. I think that's the right number. 
in 42 years. I'm looking forward to the last trip to the cemetery. The last time we have to make that, that trek. Well, no mores. Can I say this? There's no other sacrifice either. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He's the only entrance into heaven. You know, there's a lot of argument about Calvinism and stuff that God preordained certain people to be saved and others he's preordained not to be saved. That's called the doctrine of election and where it includes people and the doctrine of reprobation where it excludes people. Just one thing about it, I can't find them in the Bible. Now, does God know who's going to be saved? He knew that before he ever made the world. <laughs> if he can make this thing... He can direct it. He understands everything. But if you miss heaven, it won't be because the door wasn't swung wide enough. The door of whosoever will swings on the hinges of the sovereignty of God. Only an almighty sovereign God can say, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life. Anybody. He said, well, what that person did so-and-so. We either believe a whosoever will gospel or we don't. Recently, our president went down to Charleston, South Carolina, nine years after it happened, and spoke at that, I think it was Emmanuel Episcopal Methodist Church down there. I think that's the name of it. And that Dylan Roof guy, if you remember, went in there, went through the Bible study with him, pulled out a pistol and went to shoot him. I learned something from those folks down there. The gunfire hadn't stopped completely. It seemed as before they were already out in front of camera saying, we've already forgiven him. Whosoever will. Brother Dave works with folks in jail and worked with people in prison that the rest of us wouldn't spit on if they were on fire. That'd be our attitude except for God. It's a whosoever will gospel. Racist can be saved. That's what's wrong with wokeness, CRT, intersectionality, anti-racism. The gospel's not enough. You gotta, get, you gotta do this and then add that. Hey, listen, when Jesus saves you, he changes you. And he doesn't stop changing. He just keeps right on changing you. They have no hope. Those folks don't. That's why they've come up with these ridiculous movements they've got. But our God's a whosoever will, God. And there's no other way to go to heaven. For by one, one sacrifice hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. Hebrews. One sacrifice. No mores, no other sacrifice or entrance. There's no end to it. There's no end. I don't understand that. I understand the concept. 
But to be honest, I can't put my brain and wrap it around eternity. I've tried to think back through the Bible. Go back to the 20 centuries of the New Testament church. Get back to the birth of Christ. Go through the 400 years between the Testaments which was the Maccabean period. Slip away through the, the Psalms. Get back to where Moses is before the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. I'm doing good now. Mind just cruising along. Get all the way back to Abraham and God promising to bless the, the entire world through him. Get all the way back to there's a garden and God scoops some dirt together and forms a man, breathes in his nostrils a breath of life. Man became a living soul. I'm still with you. I'm, I'm still there. Then we step on the other side of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning was... In the beginning, the Lord created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. I bogged down right there. I cannot think past that point. Oh, we, we'll talk about the triune councils of God before eternity began, as we understand it, the, the existence of our God, but how do you bridge from in the beginning God created and get on the other side of that, my mind just bogs down. But I'm glad to report to you, he was God then, he's still God now. And what he's given us is never going to end. What we're living on right now is temporary. You know how you go to the county fair, we do it here sometimes, we got a cotton candy machine. And you can make that, you know, keep doing that thing around there and you can get a ball that big around if you want to. But as soon as you bite into it, there's nothing there. That's what this world is. That's what this world is. And one of these days, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. No hint, taint of sin at all. And it's just going to last forever may we pray father i rejoice in your truth wished i had better words to express it better mind to explain it but like paul said it's not lawful for a man to utter we don't have the words to really fully explain so lord as we read your word we're stunned with awe. We're amazed. Help us never lose the freshness and sweetness of our eternal home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.